Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, Aria Childers has part five of the series, Close Encounters, with a message titled, Where Are Your Accusers? Oh man, this feels good. This is this is home. Good morning, Forest City Church. Uh, so good to be with you guys this morning. Like Trevor said, we haven't had the privilege to meet yet. My name is Aria, and I serve on staff here uh, with the youth at Forest City. And like he said, I grew up in this place, and more than most places in my life, y'all, this church is home. Y'all are family. My family started attending here about 10 years ago. A lot of pivotal moments in my life happened when I was coming up through Delta, which is the high school ministry. Uh, That's where I learned what true community was, what it really meant to do life together. When I was in college, I interned here, and now I've had the privilege to serve on staff for almost four years. So all of that to say, y'all, I love this place. I'm excited to be a part of what God is doing in and through this church, in this city, and each and every one of our lives. So we are in week five of the series, Close Encounters. If you missed any of weeks one through four, you can go check those out on our YouTube channel. But we've been walking through these stories in scripture where people have encountered Jesus and how they have been changed, their circumstances have been changed, and what we can kind of even take away from that, you know, 2,000 plus years later. So today we're going to look at a story that maybe some of us have heard in one way or another. It's recorded in John 8, and it's when Jesus encounters a woman who is caught in adultery. I know, super easy and light topic today. But uh, if you have your Bible with you, or if you have the Bible app on your phone, you can go ahead and open it up to John 8. Uh, But first, a little context. So in John, up to this point, Jesus and the Pharisees Pharisees have been going toe-to-toe. Like Jesus is in his ministry, he's performing miracles, he's proclaiming who he is, that he's the Son of God, and the Pharisees are just not having it. The Pharisees are the religious leaders of the law, they're the religious scholars, so like they know it all, and they're not a fan of what Jesus is doing. And so in John, you see these different moments where Jesus and the Pharisees go toe-to-toe, where the Pharisees try and harass Jesus, and then Jesus calls them out on their hate and hypocrisy, and they're not fans about that. So at this point, tensions are high. We pick up in John when the religious leaders are once again trying to trap Jesus. So we can read along together. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him, but Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. So pause real quick. I'm not defending the Pharisees at all, but can you imagine how frustrated they'd be in this moment? Like, they have this woman, I'm sure they've rehearsed their argument, like, yeah, you're going to say that. Oh, yeah, that's super good, you say that. And the moment comes, they confront Jesus, and what does he do? He straight up ignores them. I love it. So, in verse 7, they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust, When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I go and sin no more. And in that moment, Jesus held the power to bring shame and condemnation and literally death upon this woman, but instead... He intervened, he protected, and he offered her a new life. 
Uh, before we continue, would you all pray with me? God, thank you so much for this time together. God, I pray that these are your words that you speak through me. I pray that you open all of our hearts so that we can receive what you have for us today. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. All right. So y'all, they say that there are certain days in your life that you always remember, right? Could be the birth of your child or a graduation or maybe a wedding day. Uh, in just less than two weeks from now, will be me and my husband's fifth wedding anniversary. They, they, yeah, clap, clap for him. He's, he's, yeah, clap for him. And so the, there's a picture of us on our wedding day. But when I look at this picture, I know we're adorable. But when I look at this picture, I think of a couple of things, right? One, look at those babies. We were infants. We were allowed to sign the documents ourselves, but we were still young. And there's been a lot of life lived since that picture, you know, a baby and probably like half a different hairstyles for me. But the second thing I think about is... And maybe this is a little bit dramatic, but that picture almost didn't happen. See, the day before the wedding, I was getting some last-minute things done here and prepared in Rockford before heading to Freeport to start setting up the church. And Jake came by uh, our future apartment to drop some of the stuff off. And y'all, I don't know what happened, probably because it was really small and I blocked it out of my memory because I was being ridiculous. And now when I asked Jake, you know, five years later, he still won't tell me why because he's too kind to remind me of that. But I went from like zero to 60 and it was full on bridezilla mode on this beautiful sunny Friday morning at like 11 a.m. the day before my wedding. And when I'm passionate, I'm going to use the word passionate, about a topic, I can get a little animated. Like my voice gets a little bit louder. Maybe my gestures get a little bit bigger. And if you guys like that, I'm not, I can't be the only one. But thank you. Thank you. But Jake is the, like the, the exact opposite of that. He is the most calm person that I know. And so the more I react, the less he reacts. And the less he reacts, the more I react. So y'all know where this is going. And so it just spirals. So in the key of the moment, I throw my phone and of course, of course, it doesn't land on anything remotely soft. It hits the floor. And so I run over, I pick it up, and nothing. The screen is black. And so now it's over, y'all. I'm crying because my phone is broken. I'm crying because I'm supposed to be on my way to Freeport. I'm crying because it's the day before my wedding, and now Jake's not going to want to marry me because I just went psycho, and it's over. It spirals. The whole thing was like one of those freeze frame moments in an after school special when the host interrupts the scene, you know, like the record scratch, and he goes, okay, what went wrong? Let's rewind. <laughs> Except it's five years later, and I still have no idea what went wrong. Have any of y'all been there with a spouse or a family member, a coworker, whoever, where something that was small just somehow ends up in a nuclear explosion? I know, Charmant, I know. <laughs> well, after some good old crisis negotiation tactics and de-escalation from Jake, I got it together, I collected myself, I walked out of the bathroom that I had locked myself in, and I headed to Freeport to start setting up the church, and Jake headed to T-Mobile, which is an act of love in itself. And a few hours later, y'all get this, a few hours later, he shows up at the church with a new phone for me. I didn't get a lecture. I didn't get told how ridiculous and immature I was being. I was given a phone, and then, then the next morning, he still showed up wanting to get married. And one of the biggest, I know y'all can clap for him. <laughs> 
in one of the biggest moments of our lives, he didn't hold it over me. He didn't hand me the phone and say, hey, here's your new phone. It was X amount of hundreds of dollars and I had to wait in line, but here you go. No, he didn't tell me how ridiculous I was. He gave me the phone the next day. He still showed up to the altar to say, I do. And as I was reflecting on this story these last few weeks, five years later, I just couldn't help but be wrecked and be humbled and be brought to tears by that picture of grace and that moment and so many moments since. By that reflection of who Christ is and that small glimpse of what Christ has done and continues to do in our lives each and every day. And y'all, I can't help but wonder, what would it look like if we did this every day? What would it look like if we committed to extending grace to those around us instead of looking for opportunities to get to condemn, to judge, and to throw stones? And not just on the big days, not just the graduations, the weddings, all of that, but on Monday morning in traffic with our coworkers, our spouses, our parents, our friends, and our kids. Because honestly, if the roles had been reversed that Friday morning, mm -mm, I do not think, I know that I would not have been able to handle it quite as well. It's easy to keep score. It's easy to hold something over somebody else's head or to point out the immaturity and the anger and the foolishness of somebody else. I, I am good at that. It seems like we almost like to point out the wrong and to accuse and criticize and condemn other people because it makes us feel better about what we're dealing with or what we're doing. It's like we want Jesus' love and mercy for our lives but we still want to play judge for everybody else. It's like, yeah, we look, at the, we look at the cross and we say, yeah, Jesus, you can forgive my sin, but I'm still going to play God in everybody else's lives. But y'all, that is not who Jesus is. And that's not what the gospel is about. See, the message of the gospel is that Jesus left heaven and entered into this broken and messy world to reconcile each and every one of us to the Father when we did nothing to deserve it. I'll never forget the way that Jake treated me that way. And maybe y'all can think of a time when you've been on the receiving end of grace. When a boss doesn't yell at you for being 15 minutes late, when your professor gives you an extension on that super important paper, or when your family forgives you for blowing up at the dinner table, I think we can all agree that being on the receiving end of grace feels a whole lot better than being on the other end of stones, even when we really maybe do deserve it. And for this woman on this day that she encountered Jesus, that's a day that she's never going to forget. In this encounter, Jesus held the authority to condemn and literally bring death upon this woman and give her the punishment for breaking the law. Like the Pharisees were right about the law, but Jesus knew their hearts. And while the Pharisees only saw this woman's actions and used her as a pawn to further their own agenda, Jesus saw this woman for who she was. He saw her brokenness and he literally stoops down and sits with her. While the leaders stand in judgment and accuse, he becomes her advocate. He steps in to protect, not to condemn, and he offers her a clean slate. As the crowd slowly trickles away and the clatter of rocks echo in the crowd, Jesus stood up again and said to this woman, where are your accusers? Yeah. Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said, and Jesus said, neither do I. Neither do I, because when we encounter Jesus, y'all, he changes the game. He flips the script on what we think. He flips the script on what we think is our future, what we think is our destiny, what we believe about ourselves, what we have been told about who we are and what we'll become. All of that is forever changed when we step into the grace and the freedom that comes with knowing who Jesus is. Neither do I go and sin no more. He doesn't dismiss her or tell her that it was no big deal, but he knew that she didn't need a lecture. 
And in those few words, he speaks both truth and grace into her, releasing her from her sin and offering her a new way. What would our lives, y'all, look like? What would our church look like? What would our relationships, our schools, what would State Street look like if we were people who committed to extending grace even when it didn't help us further our own agenda? But I think too often, if we're honest, we're way more like the Pharisees and the religious leaders waiting in the crowd, ready to throw stones. We're ready to judge, condemn, and cancel, and dismiss. We're ready to catch our coworkers slacking off and put them on blast. We make assumptions about our neighbors and stereotypes about them based on the bumper stickers on their vans or the yards or the signs in their yards. And doesn't, culture today doesn't make it easy either. It seems like culture expects that to be our role. It expects us to judge and police and cancel each other. We've just traded in our stones for keyboards and town square for timelines and news fees. We're all watchdogs on Twitter waiting for somebody to mess up and to say the wrong thing so that we can call them out and bring them down. And sure, Sometimes, 100%, it is accountability, and it's acceptable, but today I'm talking about the times when it's because I'm motivated by our own pride, or a vendetta, or bitterness, or anger. And if we're not the ones throwing stones, we're sure part of the crowd talking about it. Like, can we be real for a second? This was even me just the other day. I don't know a single soul who can drive past an accident and just not crane their neck as they pass by. It's just human nature. That's why there are phrases like, it's like watching a... Thank you, Trevor. It's like watching a train wreck. It may not be right, but we're drawn to it and we can't look away. Y'all, I'm from Freeport. Home of the Freeport pretzels. Okay. If anything, that alone should be an indication of the level of excitement in that city. So there isn't much to do in a kind of weird and admittedly morbid way. Like things like fires and accents were a little bit of a form of entertainment, right? You'd throw in the middle of the summer, you'd throw your lawn chair in your trunk and you'd hop in your car. You'd sit there and you'd play detective with your neighbors. Like, what do you think caused it? What do, you, what do you think happened? Oh, okay. And you'd play detective trying to speculate what the cause of the accident was. It was weird, admittedly. But the struggles, the valleys, and the mistakes, and the missteps of other people, those aren't for our consumption or entertainment. Her divorce, their bankruptcy, his affair, her addiction, his mental illness, their fill in the blank, their sin, and their pain isn't for our condemnation or exploitation. And we have to ask ourselves why. Why do we do that? What do we gain from pointing out the burdens that somebody else is carrying? What do we gain from putting somebody else on trial or on blast when we know that we have been guilty of doing the same thing? Maybe we just haven't been caught. When I look at the text, I don't think the Pharisees and the religious scholars were really concerned with the woman. And I get sad and I get angry that they were just using her pain and her shame as a pawn to try and trap Jesus. But then I remember, I've done that. I've done that. I'm just as guilty for exploiting somebody else's pain for gossip or to cover up my own insecurity or to point to and distract from what I'm dealing with because if we're honest, it's way easier to point and to mock and to ridicule and to throw stones than it is to admit that we are all the woman in this story too. Sure, you may not have been caught in the act of adultery and thrown out in front of your neighbors, but we can agree that we've all been caught doing something kind of mindless, right? 
like that time that you backed out of a parked car, or backed out of a parking space right into a parked car, or when you're carrying groceries into your house and your neighbors are out and you trip and you spill them in front of them, or when you're at a restaurant and you try and move your plate, but you end up knocking over your glass and now there's water over the table. Y'all, we've all been caught, right? And all of those examples are a little bit oddly specific because I've done them all. It's been a hard week. <laughs> but a lot of times, a lot of times you can eventually laugh those things off. But what about the embarrassment and the guilt and the shame that comes with being caught in or caught up in something that we had much rather have had stay hidden? Maybe that's an addiction or a dependence that you're struggling with. Maybe it's a debt that you're trying to cover up so that nobody finds out. Maybe it's a relationship that's falling apart or it's a relationship that you know you took too far. Maybe you find yourself right now walking in a season of depression and you're just terrified to admit that you need help. We've all been caught. But, but the good news today is that that's not where this woman's story ends and that's not where our story ends either. And probably the most humiliating moment of this woman's life, Jesus locks eyes with this woman. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't tell her how terrible what she did was. Honestly, she probably didn't feel great about what she was doing. She didn't need to be told that, but he doesn't lecture her. He doesn't throw stones. He says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And y'all, I just imagine the tears welling up in her eyes and the sigh of relief she breathed because instead of getting what she deserved, she received grace. Can you think of a time in your life when that was you? Do you remember a time when you were the one being bracing yourself to get what was coming to you or to be defined by your reputation, but instead you were met with kindness and mercy instead? Y'all, the fact that I'm even just like standing right here, one, is wild, but two, is a testament to the power of what happens when people get down in the dirt with others and show grace and kindness and gentleness instead of throwing stones. I started coming around here when I was in high school and I landed in a small group and I kid you not, I probably said a handful of words like in the first six months. I was that punk kid in the back of small group with my arms crossed, just mean mugging, some things don't change, but it was worse then, I promise. I sat there for a good while just with my arms crossed. I was hurting, I was angry, I was bitter, I was closed off. And those things alone are usually, you know, enough to scare people away. But I suppose my small group leaders just had a supernatural amount of patience because they pressed or they kept pressing in even when I gave them every reason not to. I was walking through a season of depression. I was struggling with self-harm. I was dealing with a lot of hurt from a previous church. Honestly, I'd given up. I'd given up on the idea of God and church and community and even myself. Last week, we heard an incredible word from Angie Addy. Angie and I work along each other, uh, alongside each other now, but eight years ago, that was not the case. I wouldn't have imagined it. See, eight years ago, I was a thorn in her side. Every time she tried to engage, I shut her down. I wouldn't give her the time of day. Every time she tried to get past a wall that I put up, I happily kept her in her place. And I was fine keeping up that dance for well over a year until one day, I just couldn't pretend anymore. Until one day my brokenness, my hurt, my pain, my shame, all of that caught up to me and I was just caught. I was ready to be judged. I was ready to be criticized, but instead Angie got down in the dirt with me. Instead of throwing stones, she offered kindness and she offered grace. 
Despite the mess that I was currently in and despite the way that I had treated her for way too long, she offered me help and more importantly, she offered me hope. That there was a life worth living. That there was a God who sees us, who hears us, who cares for us, who has a purpose for our lives, each and every one of our lives, so much so that he sent his son to die for each and every one of our sins, to redeem and to restore us all. And if there is one thing that I've learned that when I'm messing up is that I need a savior, not somebody throwing stones. Y'all, Jesus set the example. He set the standard for all of us who, who call ourselves followers of him when he showed mercy to this woman caught in adultery, and then when he took it a million steps further and he died for our sins on that cross. And I know that it can be easy to say things like, well, if I keep forgiving and if I keep extending grace, well, I'm just giving others a license to sin more. But I'm telling you that when you have been on the receiving end of grace, you are changed. It makes you want to be better. It makes you want to do better. And even if that's not in the case, it's not our job to keep track of who has been forgiven for what and for how many times. It's like when Peter asked Jesus in Matthew 18, Lord, how often should I forgive somebody who sins against me? Seven times? And Jesus looks at Peter, he says, no, you idiot. That's my version. That's not actually what Jesus said. But he says, no, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 77 times. And Jesus' point here isn't even to keep track until you reach 490. He's saying, hey, 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 lose count of giving grace. Y'all, our world needs people and churches filled with people who are in the dirt with the broken and not standing in judgment. All of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory, but the blood of Jesus that covers our lives also extends to our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends, our enemy, our spouses. We don't get to hold on to grace that defeats the purpose. Time and time again, we have been shown mercy and grace that we certainly do not deserve. In our brokenness, in our mess, in our sin, Jesus still took our place on that cross. Now we get to be a reflection to him in our community, to everyone around us about what he has done in our lives. Because when somebody asks, where are your accusers? I want to be able to say, not at Forest City. Because this is a place for anyone and everyone where we're not throwing stones, as Eric says, we're throwing parties. Where we sit down in the dirt with each other and say, hey, I'm not judging you. I'm not condemning you. But let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about what he's done in my life. Because once we experience and embrace the love and mercy of Jesus Christ, we are forever changed. We are not the same. That doesn't mean that we're perfect or that we pretend to be. I don't get this right nearly as much as I wish I did, but I know what it feels like to be the woman. And way too often my first reaction is to be like the Pharisees, but I want to be more like Jesus. On that day before my wedding, Jake could have easily said, hey, 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 if this is a precursor of what's to come, maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe this isn't a good idea. But he still showed up. He still stood across from me, and he still said, I do. And church, what if that was our response? When it comes to extending grace and forgiveness to other people, what if we said, I do? What if we approached it like a commitment that even in the good, even in the bad, even when it's hard, even when we mess up and others mess up, what would our relationships look like if we committed to showing grace and forgiveness instead of accusing and condemning? Because when we get this right, y'all, when we get this right, Churches are safe havens. Families are healed. Relationships flourish and dignity is restored. 
In a moment, we're going to head into a time of worship. And if you want to stand and worship and respond, then stand. But if you just need to sit and let these words wash over you, then sit. Maybe you grew up with a harsh view of God, a God who was angry and who could not wait to see you messing up. And you just need to be reminded of these lyrics about who God truly is. Maybe there's a person or a situation that comes to mind and you just need to take a moment and seek God and how you can move towards reconciliation. Or maybe you're asking, can I really encounter Jesus? Can I really encounter grace, that grace for me? And y'all, I'm telling you the answer is yes. No matter where you've been, no matter what your story is, no matter what you did last night, the week before, none of that matters. The power of God's grace is for you. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a God of grace and of redemption. God, I pray that we can be a reflection of who you are in this world. God, give us a heart like yours, and that in all moments we commit to showing grace. Lord, help us live that out each and every day. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Aria Childers with part five of the Close Encounter series. You can watch the online version of this message by going to youtube.com slash Forest City Church. Thanks for listening.